Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. Being this is uh, Father's Day today, and um, obviously my message is going to be targeted for dads, but this really is a message for everyone in the family, whether you're a dad or mom or son or daughter, the message from the Bible really does apply to you too. It's, but it's not too often that I get to address just the fathers in the church, so I'm looking forward to this because being a dad is such a huge responsibility, and of course, unfortunately, manhood and fatherhood is being challenged today. It's under attack by people who kind of want to redefine what family should look like, and particularly what maleness and femaleness should look like. I want to remind all of us here that God created the family. It's one of the institutions he created. He created manhood, and he created womanhood. It's not man's idea. So um, we're going to look at, from the scriptures today, uh, what God has to say about fatherhood. Um, I, uh, this is kind of a historical sermon, too, because you've never heard me preach more than three points, and I came up with ten of them today. So, uh, yeah, today it's going to be the ten uh, things every father should teach their kids. So, uh, let's get into it. Buckle up, because uh, this is going to be a sermon that's going to go over the basics of fatherhood. I have a key verse that I'd like to spring off of. We're going to be in Proverbs for most of the morning, but uh, there's a key verse that I want us to look at for fatherhood, and it's uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Let me read it to you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. It's, now, that verse, of course, is saying it's important for children to obey their parents. It's one of the top ten. But there's a benefit. There's a benny in it. He says, if, uh, the scripture says, if you do that, if you obey your parents, uh, there's a quantitative benefit. Your life won't be cut short because the Lord had to discipline you for your rebellion. Now, it's not saying, it's not guaranteeing every person that obeys their parents is going to live 80, 90, 100 years. What it's saying is this, that though God ordains how many days we live, right? The Bible says, all of our days are ordained for us, even before one of them comes to be. So God preordains how long you're going to live on this earth. You don't leave this earth a second earlier or a second later than God's ordained time. But it says God has the prerogative to cut even that short if you do not obey your parents and you're a rebel. So what it's saying and promising is if you obey your parents you live the full extent of God's ordained plan for you. And then, of course, it goes on to warn fathers. And it says, fathers, don't exasperate or frustrate your kids. How can a father exasperate or frustrate their kids? Well, in a variety of ways. 
Uh, you can be inconsistent with your discipline. That'll frustrate a kid. Uh, dad's never consistent with uh, what's right or wrong around here. You could be too harsh. You could be overprotective. You cannot trust your kids. You can mock their decisions. There are some dads that are completely absent or involved in their kid's life. You could be a weak father in the home, and the home is run by a domineering mother. And the children are frustrated with their father because he doesn't lead and he doesn't make decisions. There are some kids that are frustrated by dads who don't show any discipline. Anything goes. There's not much security in that or healthy boundaries. There are, fa there are fathers who frustrate their kids because of uncontrolled anger and critical words, words that crush kids. I, when I came to the Valley here in 97, I remember I went to a business meet. It was actually a meeting of community leaders, but most of them were business, some education, some government. And I go to this big meeting, and I meet a guy who's an incredibly successful businessman. He is the best nationally in his area. Very successful. And he introduces himself, and he begins to tell me his life story. And we became friends, and over the years, probably at least 10 times, he would repeat the same story. And it told me this is important in this guy's life. And here was the story. He said, when I first was in my, I just newly married, we're living on top of a, a two-story home, living on top of my folks. And my dad, of course, my dad has a great impact on me. So I'm so excited. I just got this job with this company that he was nationally known for, the best. And, and he said, I... I was so excited by getting this job, I ran to my father, I told him, and I'll never forget what my father told me. He said, nobody, nobody can ever be successful doing that. And he said, it crushed me. And I went upstairs like a beaten dog up to my, my wife, and she, gave, she told me five words. Why don't you show him? And I spent the rest of my life trying to show my dad he was wrong. This man's in his 70s. I, if you remember Brett Favre's speech at the Hall of Fame, listen to the speech. It's all about a young kid who's looking for his dad to bless him. And his dad was hard on him. You listen to that speech. He basically says, everything I did, I did to get the blessing and the nod from my father, which was hardly there. Listen, dad, if your child hears encouragement from you, he will learn to be kind. He will learn to appreciate kindness in other people. If your child hears ridicule and shame, he'll learn to, to constantly feel guilty. He, may, he probably will be insecure, and he may become angry and, and critical himself. So what should a dad pass on to, her kid, to the kids? What is the training and instruction of the Lord? Here we go. And this is exactly what, by the way, this is exactly what God is telling you to do, Dad. This is your number one job. It is not to bring home the bacon. It is not to play sports. It is not just to have fun with your kids. Your number one job as a Christian father is to teach and train your children in the Lord. And of course, it goes without, it should go without saying, but you're going to model this first, right? Your kids learn not by what you lecture them about. They learn by what they see in your life, the way you model it. So what are the things you need to do? Number one, you need to teach your kids to fear God. 
Here's the verse, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If the definition of wisdom is to live life skillfully, and you want, to, you want your kids to live life wisely, it says the beginning, the curriculum begins with this lesson. Teach your kid how to fear God. Now, fear God involves, this is the definition of fearing God. It's respecting the greatness and the power of God. How do I teach my kid the greatness and the power of God? Here's how you do it. You teach your kids the attributes of God. What is God like according to his word? How does he describe himself? He's 100% just. Every time God decides on something, it na- it's get nailed. It's 100% fair. You can never, nor can any, ever, any other human being ever say to God, that's not fair. God is 100% fair all the time. He's merciful. He's kind. He is so loving. No one will ever love you like God. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's patient. Bible says he doesn't even take pleasure in the death of the wicked. People you and I want to see nailed for their evil, God is even patient with them. He is all powerful. He has all the power in the universe. You don't want to mess with God. He is holy. Sin is not even in his presence. No impurity. He judges people to eternity, which means some people will be in hell forever and ever. Some people will be with him forever and ever. In fact, the Bible says he's a God of wrath, which says basically God has, has the option to say, I've had enough. I'm going to execute judgment. And you're in trouble. You do not want to be under God's wrath. And finally, God is sovereign. What does that mean? He controls everything. Oh, we make decisions. You know, human beings like, well, I've got free choice. Yeah, your free choice is there. Every decision you're going to make today, and you'll make hundreds of them, will be your choice. What you, you, what you can't choose is the results of that. That's under God's sovereign plan. And, of course, he, he foresees everything. So everything somehow, even the evil of man, is all working right according to plan to God's end. You need to teach your kids. That that's who God's like. He's great. He is all-powerful. They need to fear him. I had a, I had a um, woman come up to me not too long ago, and she said to me, Pastor, I don't believe God punishes anybody. And I was talking about discipline and punishment. And I said, well, he doesn't really punish believers. They're his children. He disciplines them. But, but he does punish. I don't believe that. Well, have you ever read the Bible about this? And she goes, I've read the Bible. I know the Bible. I just don't believe God's like that. I said, well, why don't you and I have a discovery moment? Let's go in the Bible. And this is the first verse I showed her. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 11. Uh, Why don't you read it, I said. I will punish the world for all its evils and the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty or the proud and will humble the pride of the righteous. And then we went to Psalm 7. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. Every day, God is punishing somebody. Second Thessalonians, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be 
punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. And even after those three verses, she said to me, I don't believe God punishes. And I thought, this is, this is what the world is. This is how the church is today. Many people in the church are like this. You show them clearly what God says. This is God's own words. And they go, uh, yeah, no, I'm going to create my own picture of who God is. And they live in this fantasy world of who God is. I want my kids to know what God is really like. And I want them to fear God because that's the beginning of wisdom. And we're not, of course, we're not talking about a cowering fear, but a healthy fear. A healthy fear. It's the, what I call the cop at the end of the street. Most cops are polite people. They're very nice people. But they will nail you if you speed. And the fact that you know that cop is at the end of the street makes you fear what? Speeding. You're not going to speed. It's a healthy fear. Little confession. I got nailed. <laughs> not too long ago, I was coming out of a board meeting, a church board meeting. And I'm going down a 25-mile-an-hour zone, and I'm zoning out. And it's, I'm going 40 miles an hour, 42 miles an hour. I'm going down, and sure enough, cop pulls me over. It's a woman. It's a woman cop. And, and, and she says to me, uh, license registration. She goes, why are we going so fast? I said, well, officer, uh, I was coming out of a church meeting. I'm a pastor. <laughs> yes, I pulled the pastor card. I said, I'm a pastor. I just come out of a board meeting, and my wife's been on a mission trip for 10 days. I haven't seen her. I want to get back. She goes, well, that's a good reason. And I'm thinking... She comes back, gives me a ticket. <laughs> what? I said, I thought you said it was a good reason. She goes, it wasn't that good. <laughs> so she goes, I'm only going to give you seven miles over. Thank you. Teach your kids to fear God. Two, teach your kids to trust God always in everything. Here's the verse, chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Don't try and figure it out. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths what? Straight. You trust in the Lord. You trust in the Lord in everything. I don't have to worry about my life. I can fully trust God with every area of it. I don't have to worry about my enemies or, or any harm they'll do to me. I don't have to worry about that. Vengeance is the Lord's. I can trust him for everything. The word, the Hebrew word for uh, trust there, it, it means to helplessly fall down, face down to the ground. What's that meaning? That means I'm doing nothing. In fact, that's why I believe God, when he talks about the church and his people, he calls us what? Sheep. Because sheep are absolutely defenseless unless the shepherd protects them. So how do you teach your kids how to trust God? Answer, by example, they're watching you when you face the challenges of life. You lose your job, are you going to panic or are you going to trust God? When you get a bad diagnosis from the doctor, you're going to panic or are you going to trust God? When your kids are going off to college, you're going to worry yourself to death or are you going to trust God? They're watching you. That's how they learn how to trust God. 
Matthew chapter 25, trust in the Lord. I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. It's not life more than food and body more than clothes. For the pagans run after these things. But your heavenly father knows what you need. He knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all those things will be given to you as well. Teach your kids. Trust God always for everything. Third, teach your kids to guard their eyes, their ears, and their minds. You've got to teach your kids how to allow the good stuff in and keep the bad stuff out. So that means you've got to teach them how to choose to do that. There'll be a time you will not be in the game. You'll be coaching from the sidelines, right? Four phases of parenting. First phase, authoritative phase. Probably it's a short phase to look two, maybe three, right? You don't explain to a toddler why something's wrong. Good luck on that. They just want to disobey. And it's, I got the power, there's pain if you disobey. You teach them to obey. That's authoritative phase, short phase. Then you're talking about the main phase, which is the teaching phase. Goes maybe up to even middle school. I mean, it's a teaching phase. Now you're explaining the why. You're, put, you're placing little values inside their heart. It's hard work, teaching phase, important phase. It pays off later. Third phase, coaching phase, high school, more. You're in the, you, you, you hardly spend time with them. They're out in the game. They come in, you coach them a little bit, they go back in the game. Fourth phase, friendship phase, beautiful phase. Adults, very good. So, you're teaching them here, particularly during the teaching stage, how to make choices here. With what? What they hear, what they see, what, they, what their mind takes in. You want to keep the good stuff in, keep the bad stuff out. So you want to teach them how to read and listen and watch music, TV, movies, podcasts, internet, whatever, all the platforms. Don't let them handle this alone. You get involved, you show leadership. Your job is to protect them and to teach them. Psalm 119. Turn my eyes away, God, from worthless things and preserve my life according to your word. You're talking about life and death here in some cases. It's a formidable task. No question, parent. I, I sympathize with you, dads and moms. I, we, look, uh, it was a lot easier. The truth is it was a lot easier for the boomers. It wasn't as, as accessible. The, the, the bullying on social media, all that stuff, that wasn't around. But you got to do it. You got to set boundaries. You got to teach them how to make decisions for themselves. When they're getting stuff in that tells them you're nothing, you, you're this, you're that, you got to teach them to ask themselves a question because we talk to ourselves all the time. You have to teach them. When you're talking to yourself, ask yourself a question Is that true? They're saying I'm nothing. Is that true? No, that's not true. God loves me. My parents love me. I'm not nothing. So you've got to teach them how to, how to work this stuff and what they hear and what they see and what goes in their mind. Teach them to decide what, what is dangerous. Matthew chapter 6. Your eye is like the lamp 
that provides light for your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep the darkness is, if you're believing the lie that's coming in there, you're really in trouble. So on the negative side, Dad, you protect your kids from what they can be exposed to, at least while they're under your care. On the positive side, you make sure they're exposed to what? Things that will fill their eyes and their ears and minds with what is good and right and healthy. This is Philippians chapter 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and praise. That's the good stuff you want going in there. 1938, long time ago. Catholic Church, I grew up Roman Catholic. Catholic Church started what was called the National Organization for Decent Literature, NODL. And it faded away in the 60s, late 60s. My dad, who was a staunch Roman Catholic, decided to become a part of it, and he was a leader in it. And so I spent many, many Saturdays as an eight, nine-year-old. My dad would take me to all of these stores, and I watched my dad get laughed at. I watched my dad get rejected. I watched my dad be told he's got to leave. But I also saw my dad get accepted at times and listened to. My dad would go to the store owner with, right, with me by his side, and he'd say, any of these magazines here, Playboy, Hustler, would you please turn them over to the advertisement section? We don't want our kids and adults looking at this stuff. And some would do it. And when you spend every Saturday while your friends are playing baseball and you're, you're with your dad doing this, you ask questions. And I would ask my dad, Dad, why are we doing this? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Dennis, this is just not good. This is evil. And that stuck. This is evil. This is demonic. This thing could really hurt you. And that had an impact on me. I didn't go to strip joints. I didn't go to any of these places that were tempting. Why? Because I was trained from the time I was a, a little boy. This is terrible and this could mess you up. And then I would say to him, well, dad, what, what, why is it so evil? And he'd say, well, it doesn't put women in a good light. It takes advantage of them. And then he would warn me. He'd say, Dennis, you need to respect a woman. You never, ever, ever make her feel in danger. You never abuse her. You never touch her. I don't care what she's doing. You make women feel safe. My dad taught me that. Fathers, are you teaching your sons that? My dad taught me that. And it stayed with me my whole life. Dad, teach your sons to respect women, to honor them. If you don't do it, who is going to do it? Every daughter needs to know that about my dad. My dad honors women. He honors mom. Now, you can only do so much in protecting your kids. But this is what a godly man does. Even today as a grandpa, you ask my wife, she'll tell you. Whenever I'm with my granddaughters, tell Papa, 
Is there any boy bothering you at school right now? Because I will have a conversation with them. It's not going to be bad. You just give me their name. That's all I need. I will find them on the playground. And if I can't get anything accomplished, I've got a cousin, Nina Umbambazzo, in Brooklyn, and he will come and help me out. Dads, protect your kids. It's one of the roles of maleness is to protect. Don't give that responsibility to anybody else. That's your job. You make sure they're safe, especially the women. And you make sure that, that, that all, both sons and daughters, are making right choices in this area. There will come a day. You'll have to trust them to make their own calls in this area. But while they're under your care, train them to guard their eyes, their ears, their minds, and how to look for character. Okay, number four. Dads, teach your sons to be a one-woman man, not to have a wandering eye. You know, when the, when the Bible decided, when, when God decided he wanted to give instructions to the church on what an elder, a pastor should be, what was at the top of the list? One woman man. The husband of one wife. I'm not talking about divorce. It's talking about being a one woman man. Not to be susceptible to the flattery and seduction of an adulteress. Proverbs. Gosh, read Proverbs. It is full of Proverbs and, and, and advice on not being trapped and duped by the temptation of giving yourself to another and abandoning your commitment to your wife. Do you know what the penalty for adultery was in the Old Testament? Death. Both man and woman who got engaged in that, death. And people died. Their lust outweighed their desire to live and people lost their life over it. What are we talking about here? We're talking about a lack of sexual self-control and it destroyed them and their families. Proverbs chapter 5, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and, mouth is, and, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's as bitter as poison and dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to the death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. If you do, you'll lose your honor and will lose uh, to merciless people all you've achieved. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing to you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, for the Lord sees clearly what a man does. Every path, examining every path he takes, he will die for a lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. All men are tempted. It's tough, but you can do it. My wife and I, thank the Lord with his help, we're going to celebrate this year 40 years in August. And uh, we met each other at seminary. Uh, I proposed to her. My kids asked me once, how did you propose to mom? I said, well, I was pretty excited about it. We both knew we were going to be in ministry together, pastoral ministry together. So I figured I'm going to be a pastor my whole life. Uh, so I went to my pastor, and I said, Pastor, I'm going to tell Judy. We're going to talk to you about some things. And when we go in your office, I want you to, you won't be there. I want you to dim the lights and I'll get, I'll get in there and I'll propose to her. So it's exactly what I did. I got on my, I tell my kids this. I got on my knees. It was dim. I proposed, gave her the ring. And they all said to me, oh, how terrible is that? That is boring. Because today, you know, you have to go through a major deal to get uh, engaged. But um, it's worked. 
for 40 years, and both of us have been committed not to let our eyes wander. You need to, fathers, you need to teach your sons that, to be committed to being a one-woman man. Number five, teach your kids to obey authority, all authority. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. That's very important. There is no authority over you right now except that God willed it. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. That's referring, of course, to government authority. But the principle really applies to all authority that's in your life right now. Your parents, your boss, the police, teachers, coaches, anyone that God puts in authority over you has been put there by God. God sovereignly said, we're going to keep it in the plan. I'm not saying all of them are good, but we're going to keep it in the plan. And you're to submit and obey to them. Listen, even if it's difficult, even if it's, they're hard to please, to honor them. Look at this verse. This is one of these sayings that we like to put it, we don't want it to, we don't want it to affect us. First Peter chapter two. You who are slaves. Now the context here, of course, is uh, Peter is speaking to people who are in slavery. They have a master and they're a slave. If you are slaves, you must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they're kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. God is pleased with this. When conscious of his will, you patiently endure under unjust treatment. Of course, uh, of course you, get to, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it patiently, God's pleased with you. For God has called you, listen, God has called you to do good even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, here he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. The word for cruel there is the word scolios. You've heard of scoliosis, curvature of the spine. It means to be bent, to be crooked, to be unreasonable, to be harsh, to be hard to deal with, unbending. And what is the Christian to do? Submit. Now, he's speaking to slaves in the first century. You and I, of course, if we have a boss like that, we can go just get another job. But in the first century, you couldn't do that. You tried to get out of that situation, you were killed, legally. God, God is not espousing slavery. He's not endorsing abuse. He's not endorsing a doormat theology. I tell people all the time, you're in an abusive situation, get out. Unless the scriptures are saying there's an issue here where you, have to, you shouldn't get out, you should get out. But if God has you in a situation where there's somebody in authority of you and they're just unkind, unruly, unbending, difficult to be with, God still calls you to honor them and to suffer. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 Respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. 
Do you know who Peter is referring to there? Who the king was when he's writing those words? Nero, who blamed the Christians for burning down Rome, who had Christians dipped in oil and then set on fire to be human torches, to be Christians to be mauled to death by wild beasts in the Colosseum. And Peter is saying to the believers there, honor that king for Jesus' sake. Teach your kids to obey all authority. Soccer season now. Travel teams. We had three kids, all in travel teams, some very high level. And Brian, when he was at, on a soccer, uh, he was on a soccer team, very high level, he was kind of like, he wasn't, you know, he was kind of on the bottom of the totem pole and talent on that one. And so we would go to, you know this, we would go to tournaments, Iowa, all over the place. You spend all this money, you go away for the weekend, and if your kid isn't in the top tier, doesn't play. That's hard. I mean, you're, you're investing a lot of money here and time, and the kid wants to play. I personally think, what's the big deal putting them in for a couple of minutes? But this coach had a different philosophy. And there was another family from the church, our church, leaders. And they have a problem with this. So they demand a meeting while we're on the tournament. They get a couple of parents to agree. And so the coach... And characteristically, we were kind of surprised. He allowed the meeting. And so they had a meeting at the hotel. And I watched this other church guy lambaste the coach, tell him, my kids should be playing. And we totally understand our kids' pain. And we're telling them, you're right. Coach is wrong. And then it got to us. Because I'm thinking, he's wrong. So I said to the coach, look, of everybody around this table, my kids play in the least. It's hard. But we believe God has taught us that we need to teach our kids to obey authority, all authority at all times, whether we agree or not. So we're telling our son, you show respect for the coach and you honor him. And you listen to what he says with a good attitude. You can quit one day, not now. At the end of the season, you can quit and not be a part of this anymore if it's that, un, it's that untasteful. But you, you're going to honor him through this thing because he's the coach. That's what you're supposed to be teaching your kids, Dad, to honor all authority at all times. Number six, teach your kids to watch how they use their tongue. Again, you got to model it, Dad. you got to model it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 24. Keep your mouth free, free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Next verse, Proverbs 12. The Lord detests. He hates lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. You know the seven things God hates? Only, only thing on the list mentioned twice is lying. God hates lying. Why? It's the foundation of everything. It's the foundation for every, every relationship. In our household, you lied. That was a big deal. And it says, Dad, train your kids to watch how they speak and make sure they don't speak lies. Make sure they're, they're not a hypocrite. Make sure, you don't, make sure they don't swear and use bad language. They speak honestly and kindly and appropriately. 
Proverbs chapter 10. The lips of the godly speak helpful words, but the mouth of the wicked speak perverse words. Teach your kids how to use their tongue. Number seven, teach your kids how to work. How to work. Again, you do this, Dad, by by word and by example. Proverbs chapter six. Take a lesson from the ants. Look at the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. They have no prince. They have no governor or ruler to make them work. They labor hard all summer gathering food for the right for the winter. Here's what it's saying. Teach your kids how to work even when the boss isn't around so they can be dependable. Teach your kids not to be lazy. Then he continues on in verse 9. But you lazy bones, how, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. It says the lazy person will suffer poverty, hunger, failure. He'll sleep through the harvest. will follow worthless pursuits. 1994, I'm in New Jersey. I'm pastoring a church out there. And the district, which is a whole bunch of pastors in Metro District, New York and New Jersey, they asked me to be the treasurer of the district money. So this is money we give, churches give to the district to oversee things in the alliance. And so they make me district treasurer. They knew I had a business background. And so I'm district treasurer. And I, we, got a, we got a visit one day by a Christian businessman from Philadelphia. His name was John Bennett. And he was pitching to us an opportunity to be part of a Christian fund called New Era. And he said, we'll double your months. What do you got right now? 300,000? It'll be 600,000 in six months. And you know what he did? He showed us commitments from Focus on the Family, Billy Graham, Campus Crusade for Christ, and Young Life. Who's going to question that? We did. Because after he left, we're all debriefing. I just told him, listen, I've lived by this my whole life. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I'm not buying this. A year later, it was discovered it was one big Ponzi scheme. Went national. Investors lost $135 million, including those ministries. How did that happen? You would have thought they would have remembered Proverbs 13. Look at this. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. God is saying, don't get involved in get-rich-quick schemes. Learn how to work. Hard work. And your wealth will grow little by little by little over time. Dads, teach your kids to work. Work is pre-fall. You know, I remember, you know, you're around worship arts leaders, and I love them. They do a great service for us, but sometimes they're just looking in their lane. And I've heard many worship, isn't, isn't eternity going to be great? One big worship experience forever and ever. We're not, it's like, that's a root canal for me, really, to be singing forever. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to be worshiping, but I, I work is pre-fall. I want something to do. And I think work's part of the new kingdom and the new earth. I want to be a gardener. Teach your kids how to work. Number eight, teach your kids to be generous. Again, by example first. If you're cheap and you squeak when you walk and you pinch every nickel like Scrooge, 
Don't expect your kids to be generous people. How do I train my kids, pastor, how to be a generous person? Answer, teach them to be generous with God first. Proverbs chapter three, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best of everything you produce. Then he'll fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. It's saying you learn to be generous with God first. He'll be generous with you. I know a lot of Christians, especially Christian businessmen, they go, we want to do great things for the kingdom of God. Really? Yeah. Oh, I want to give a lot. I want to give a lot. But they make sure all of their toys are taken care of first, and then then they'll get to God. That's not the way it works. It says you give God the first and the best. That's the principle in Scripture. Teach your kids to be generous with God. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say come back tomorrow, and then I'll help you. Teach your kids to be generous. Number nine, teach them to choose their friends wisely. Proverbs 12, lots on this. Proverbs 12, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13, walk with the wise, become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. My dad actually, he, he wasn't a Bible person, but he actually had a hybrid of this. Dennis, he used to tell me all the time, you hang with knuckleheads, you will become a knucklehead. <laughs> yeah. That was from the NIV, the, uh, the RIV version, the revised Italian version. <laughs> First Corinthians 15. Don't be misled, bad uh, company corrupts good character. So, how do you do this? How, as a parent, do you teach your children to choose good buds, to choose good friends? Two things I want to suggest. The first is, again, you can't control this when they're older, but when they're younger, you need to maintain and monitor who your kids' friends are. You can do that. You need to place boundaries around it. Sometimes, yeah, our kids would say, oh, their parents go to church here. I don't care. I don't care if he's on the board. You're not hanging with that kid because that kid is influencing you. You need to be influencing that kid. And we don't like the behavior right now. So it ain't gonna happen. When they're younger, you can do this. When they're older, hopefully you've taught them how. That's the second thing. The first thing is younger, you put boundaries, you monitor. Secondly, you need to teach them how to have an eye for character of a good friend. They're loyal. They're trustworthy. They do good. Number 10, finally, teach your kids how to always do the right thing, no matter how hard it is. Listen to me, dads. Your kids need to see something called courage from you. You know why doing the right thing is so hard, especially today? Because it goes against the crowd. Most of the people are like sheep. They're just following what everybody's doing. It takes courage to be committed to doing the right thing, no matter the consequences, no matter the loss, no matter the embarrassment, no matter the ridicule. All right. Let me close with this. I want to talk, first of all, every son, every daughter that's listening to this message, listen to the warning of Proverbs chapter 5. 
Now then, my sons and daughters, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Or at the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent and you will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned corruption. Corruption. Correction. Translation. You don't want to look back on your life as an adult and say, man, I should have listened to what my parents, what my youth pastor, what people were trying to teach me. They were telling me the right stuff. Second warning to every dad listening to my message today. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. If you are a Christian man and you do not teach your children these things, guess who will? The devil. If you fail to teach your kids to love God, the devil will teach them to hate God. If you fail to teach your kids to guard their eyes, to guard their ears, to guard their mind, the devil will fill it with all kinds of disgusting, damaging pictures and beliefs and ideas. If you fail to teach your kids to obey authority, the devil will teach them how to be rebels and break their parents' heart. If you don't teach your kids how to choose the right friends, the devil will gladly choose them for them. Take it to the bank. What a great responsibility we have as fathers. Dads, get at it. Get at it. If you're on the sidelines, get in the game. God will help you. Why? Because he has called you to this. To bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, thank you so much for making it rock, crystal, clear. You have called men to be the spiritual leaders of their homes, to protect, to provide, to teach, to mentor, by example. So the first thing we pray for is ourselves, God, as fathers. We sense the awesome responsibility, and we feel so inadequate because we're sinners ourselves. We need, we're in need of your grace and mercy, but God, you will cover us. You've got our backs. You will provide. You made the promise. You said in your word that we'll have everything we need for life and godliness, and that includes what you've called us to. So I pray there's not a father here that's not encouraged this morning that you'll, get, you'll provide for us what we'll need. I pray you'll save us, Lord, from trying to now catch up and jam a whole bunch of stuff into a little hole that might be there. Help us to be patient and look for opportunities where we could be the father you've called us to. And it's never too late, Lord, even as grandparents, even as fathers of older children, Lord, we're going to look for opportunities to be the dad that you've called us to be. Now to him who's able to do 
immeasurably more than all you could even ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within you. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And God's people said, amen. Happy Father's Day.